Hello, I'm Farmer Charles, a dairy, beef and arable farmer from Warwickshire. And I'm Dr Rachel, an NHS GP from Oxfordshire. And this is The Pharmacy. Alongside farming, my passions are helping people to understand how their food is produced, where it comes from and how we, as farmers, are looking to protect and enhance the environment around us. And I'm passionate about empowering people to take control of their own health and well-being by giving them the information they need to make better lifestyle choices. But we know that the story doesn't end there. We're going to interview people from all walks of life find out their perspective on food, health, where it all comes from and how it all fits together. This is The Pharmacy. Hello and welcome to episode three of The Pharmacy. Um, Today we are talking about a fascinating and very important subject, which is food poverty. And we're thrilled to have Richard Kennell, who is the CEO from Sophia in Oxfordshire with us um, today. Um, But first of all, Charlie, how's things? You've you've had a difficult harvest. Yeah, it it was a rough start, but... um... You know, the sun started to shine a bit on us and we managed to keep going and we've slowly slogged our way through it. And actually, I think it's been a fairly good harvest this year. I wasn't looking forward to it, but the barns are full. We've got plenty of straw for the cows through the winter and things are looking good. And and I'm going to have to carry on why I'm boasting about things like this. I might put some of the few listeners that we got off by, you know, showing off. But I'm actually really excited because this is going to be two days running that I get to see a GP because I've actually managed to get an appointment for tomorrow, which I cannot believe. So yeah, this is, this is a special moment for me. Very good. Very good. I did have that coming, but uh, (laughs) I might have one at my sleeve for later, but no spoilers. So last episode, um, we had a fantastic discussion with Nikki about um, pasture fed beef farming up in Aberdeenshire And, you know, we were really talking about a high-end product, high-end meat production. And we did touch on it at the time about how these products are superb, but not necessarily accessible to all. And that's why we wanted to have a conversation today, Charlie, looking at the opposite end of, of, of the way that food is produced and accessible to people. Yeah, it is. It's frightening how many people in this country, and we are an affluent country, are actually really struggling and food insecurity is getting worse and worse where people haven't got a clue where the next meal is coming from or even having to skip meals. So, yeah, it's a really important topic. Yeah, the figures that I looked up, uh, about 10% of households in the UK suffer with food insecurity, meaning that they will, as you say, skip meals, have to eat less, which is a terrifying figure for an affluent country. And that also includes millions of children. So a very important thing to discuss. Um, So I'm thrilled that we have got Richard Kennell, who is the CEO of Sophia. 
Um, he founded Sophia in 2013. Sophia is a charity and educational organisation based in Oxfordshire, um, which offers an alternative to mainstream education, but also offers employability and well-being programmes for vulnerable young people. Um, Sophia also is part of the fair share movement, um, which I will at that point introduce Richard and ask him to tell us a little bit more about that. So thank you for joining us, Richard. You're welcome. Hi, uh, nice to be with you. Uh, yeah, so as as you said, Rachel, I founded Sophia almost 10 years ago now. Um, I've got a background in teaching, taught in secondary schools locally and, and elsewhere for a long time and became increasingly aware that there was a group of young people in our schools that weren't being served well by, by, by the diet and the curriculum that they were being fed at, through school. Um, so decided to set the charity up as a way to um, do do it differently, basically. Um, and the reason, the sort of catalyst for that was bumping in, literally bumping in just over 10 years ago to the Fair Share Network, which is a national network. So it's a national charity um, that exists to work alongside the food industry, the supermarkets and their suppliers, to release surplus food as soon as it's known to be surplus wherever that is in the supply chain and to then make that uh, available to the fair share network and to, 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 to with the intention of distributing that on to other charities that can cook it for their beneficiaries or to or, or to ensure that those people that are that are struggling with food insecurity have access to 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 a, a discounted or, or better uh, 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 range of, of foodstuffs Fair share operates on a almost like a franchise model. So centrally, it works with the food industry, it lobbies government, it uh, raises funds, but its partners around the UK are all local. We're all local, independent, autonomous charities. Uh, there are, I think, about 17 organisations across the UK running a fair share operation. Um, we founded Sophia in 2013 because there was no such thing in the Thames Valley. Uh, and the... the bringing together that approach to learning skills and education, bringing young people into a, a working warehouse uh, where they were able to gain those skills, uh, vocational skills like forklift driving, for example, um, but alongside a, a, a diet of, of maths and English and, and employability skills. Um, it's come a long way since then, but that was the that was the the, the, the catalyst for founding the, the organisation to bring a different approach through the food distribution to, as a way of educating young people that haven't had the best time at school. Yeah. And you and I have I've been lucky enough to work on several projects with, with yourself and, and Sophia. And, um, you know, it's incredible that there is this, this place for, for young people who previously may have found themselves with no other educational option, having been excluded from multiple schools and they are coming out with real world skills and, and their maths and English GCSEs uh, and others. And, you know, it's it's a fantastic organisation, which, you, sh you know, I'm sure you're very proud of. Um, one thing that I've always found fascinating, because I hadn't heard of Fair Share until we started doing projects together, Richard, and I couldn't get my head around this idea that there was all this surplus food. And I 
just don't really understand, you know, in modern times where there is, um, you know, complex predictions of what people are going to buy, where it's coming from, how supermarkets still end up with, with this huge amount of food. I remember being down at Sophia once when there was a, a whole pallet of smoked salmon, which had come <laughs> from a supermarket. And it's, you know, it's such such a bizarre concept. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I, I can't really explain the smoked salmon example. But, <laughs> yes. uh, 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 Charlie might be in a better position to to, to fill, fill in some <laughs> of the gaps in my knowledge around why it becomes surplus but but sort of from experience of of, of what ends up in on the lorries that come from us to us there's a, a sort of range of, of 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 um reasons really some of them understandable some of them less so um so for example we we, we receive a, a daily delivery from a well-known supermarket distribution center uh which is effectively it's kind of overorders and 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 mistakes for, for for that day and in the big scheme of things that's not a to us it's a, a valuable resource that, that goes on to, to 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 help people in need but but in the big scheme of things it's not a huge a huge volume and it and it's simply uh yeah stores have, have, have not quite sold as much of one thing as, as another weather plays an, an important part in that um events for example like football world cups skew demand and so on uh, which are, are slightly less predictable uh, mm. and of course if i go into my local branch of sainsbury's uh in kidlington at nine o'clock on a on a thursday evening i expect all the shelves to be fully stocked with everything i i, I want to buy and and because of that consumer demand and because the competition in the uh, amongst the supermarkets is so fierce if that's not available in Sainsbury's, Sainsbury's loses a, a customer and, and and it's worth their while, therefore, oversupplying some things some of the time. Um, and I think that you're always going to get a small percentage of food that's that's that, that's um, coming to us in that sense. There are others um, that, for example, produce that doesn't meet the grades that the supermarkets insist on, which I think is slightly more, is less defensible. Um, so we would sometimes receive whole pallets of red peppers that look to me perfectly, absolute perfect condition, but there's something about the shape or the size or the color that, that means they've been rejected. Um, so that happens a fair bit. And of course those, those products are life, have a short life. So, so, so they come to us and we move them on very quickly. Um, I'll, I'll come in gotcha. there. Um, it's one thing that really drives me insane is this whole rejected produce because it doesn't look right. And I personally do blame the supermarkets and the larger retailers. Over the years, they've gradually educated the consumers um, that to buy with their eyes and not buy with the taste buds. Mm. Uh, you, you go out to the continent and you see these wonderful uh, fruit and veg that's just full of flavour. But over the years, we've been encouraged by supermarkets to breed um varieties just for how they look and to have the right yeah. shape so tomatoes that don't taste of anything that but they're, but they're the perfect shape and color yeah, that's all um, yeah absolutely yeah. and i agree with you i think i think a lot i'm not so i've never really un managed to unpick the causation whether it's that we demand things that the supermarkets then respond to or the supermarkets are as you say charlie educating us to to want things that 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 they can they can produce at profit um but i i mean i my example would be exactly the same as yours. Whenever I go to France, even in the hypermarkets in France, you go into the produce section and you go, why can't we do this? It's, it's, it's fantastic quality. It's It doesn't look 
it's not all the same shape and color yeah. and size, uh, but it's far better quality. And, and I think there's something in our food culture that, that prevents us from having that. Um, and, and therefore you get rejections on produce that that we then see and and, and pass on. Uh, other reasons would be things like manufacturers' promotions um, mm. uh, and, and in order to produce in order to get that promotion on the shelves, they've got to produce at scale. If that sale doesn't go as well as they hoped, then the the, the, the remains are, are left with us. And then there's packaging issues, whether that's mislabeling or um, damaged outer packaging within a packaging find. So, so uh, there's, a, there's a range of reasons. And I think like most things on a scale of one to 10, some of them are kind of acceptable at the at the one end and some of them are outrageous at the at the at the 10 end um and, and fair share to its cr huge credit i think is identified that there is an issue and is fairly agnostic about who's to blame and and and, and what should happen but has accepted as, as recognized that there's a a source of supply over here and a demand over here and has put two together absolutely amazing you think that previously a lot of this food would have ended up in landfill Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is which is just absolutely criminal. Um, Charlie, have you had experience of of a similar kind of situation in farming, like, you know, excess produce, th things where, you know, if you've if you've gone over what you've been required with your contract and stuff? Because I had heard a couple of years ago of a scheme where farmers could give their excess produce to a similar scheme rather than kind of turning it into the ground what what's your experience yeah yeah plenty plenty of it plenty of it rachel um so uh up until a couple of years ago we grew a lot of potatoes and dealing with the processors who are directly contracted to the supermarkets is an absolute nightmare to the extent i you know i, I wouldn't even waste my time in the end you would send loads off that look absolutely perfect and they'll be rejected. And sometimes you'll get a decent reason and they'll just be moved on to different places. Other times you'll say to the driver, I'll tell you what, just go and park around the lane. If it's like late at night, wait till the next morning and take it in in the morning and you know it'll go in. And it's well known for a five o'clock load is going to get rejected. And to the extent after we stopped growing, we did a lot of contract grading where we would take the uh, rejects out of these big pack houses. People would buy them and we'd bag them up and then they'd just go into the general bag trade into the shops. And it was criminal what's being thrown out. Absolutely criminal. And, you know, I, I have questioned many a time if there's a lot of backhanders that go on just to get some cheaper produce for people. Mm. Um, us personally, what we try and do, so when we were growing potatoes, a really good example, um, just basically for the local community, because we get a lot of sticks sometimes, especially in bad weather, or, you know, we're putting muck on land, we're slow tractors on the roads, we're sometimes bringing a bit of muck out onto the road when we're harvesting. So, uh, you know, we'd make it well known to people in the area. When we finished harvesting that field, by all means, come on, bring a carrier bag, because there'll be potatoes left on the ground, come and help yourself. Because actually, they're going to be a pain in the backside to me next year because they're going to regrow in my next crop, which I don't want. So it's working with the community in ways like that. And Richard, have you come across, we were chatting earlier, some fair share trying to engage with farmers with their 
additional produce what's what's the deal with that yeah so there are a couple of points to, to, uh, charlie i think the the, the the local community route is obviously really really valuable to to, to, to local communities apart from anything else it, it means that the potatoes are not traveling miles and and and, and adding to to, to to food miles as well um so local community options are, are, are great i think that the, the differentiator with fair share is that it's able to operate at scale nationally but one of the things that Fair Share has, has successfully done in recent years is, is to persuade DEFRA to provide a grant for farmers to um, cover the cost of harvesting uneconomic crops. Um, if, 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 it's, if there's a reason, reason why they can't be harvested economically, DEFRA has been covered, has had a scheme called Surplus with Purpose that has enabled that to be released and that does then come to us and, and we distribute it that scheme's currently on hold it's not being refunded by defra but fair share are using some of their own reserves to to, to run a smaller scale scheme um and again it's 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 not a, an ideal solution but it's a solution and it's getting farmers at least able to cover their costs and it's getting produce that's edible and perfectly good to eat into into communities that need it yeah, I think that's. Had you heard of that, Charlie? Uh, I, I've I've heard of it. I've never come across it or know of anybody that's done it. Um, but I think one of the the biggest barriers for produce not being harvested uh, is labour, and and we have got a huge problem with that, particularly in the fresh produce sector. With well, we just can't get the labour, and there's been that many crops that have just been lost, wasted, ploughed in, unharvested. No, no, nobody wants to work really in this country. We, you know, we always say as farmers, when you look for, we used to have potato pickers, used to turn people away. Kids want to come in the summer holidays, but nobody wants manual work. We think it's beneath a lot of us nowadays. And with, I mentioned the B word, Brexit, immigration and the labour that was so vital to agricultural industry is just not there or really struggling to fulfil the places. It's kind of a cliche, isn't it? But isn't that what summer holidays were for? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was all around the potato picking. A lot of the yeah, the industrial fortnights and the summer holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to have gone completely. It's just yeah, no, no culture of that at all anymore, is there? So, I mean, I don't just mean sort of harvesting in the summer, but I mean that kind of willingness to work in manual work at the maybe at a young age and start of a of a career as a as a, just a way to earn some extra money. But then. Oh, sorry, I was going to go on. That, um, so last year, I, I had the experience. I was taken to on a tour around a big spring onion farm down in Worcestershire, and that was really interesting because they were directly dealing with uh, large supermarkets, and they are that afraid of shortfall and not meet fulfilling contracts and the penalties they get for that that they are massively overgrowing. It was a huge amount they were growing surplus to their requirements just to make sure but actually it got to the point where you know they met their targets didn't need it it's not viable for them to pick this um spring onions these fields and we're talking I th i'm sure it was 80 acres which is a huge amount and they just plow them back in and that is such a waste of food i mean don't get me wrong it's green manure and it's doing the soil good but it, it just seems criminal when we've got so many people you know, hungry in this country. And that's repeated up and down the country, especially in the fresh produce sector. Yeah. And I think that's why the Fair Share programme, you know, has been so successful finding this, finding this food. 
Um, and I was going to move on to talk. You mentioned communities, Rich, and I think one of the really important things that Sophia does is and is, is repeated in different organisations is the community larder system. Um, so I think we're all we have all become quite familiar with food banks over recent years where you are generally referred to a food bank or um, by somebody, whether that is social worker, health professional, teacher, um, and you get access to free food uh, for a certain amount of time. A community larder is a, is a slightly different model. So basically you will pay a, you will pay a, a membership um, and you it's it's a minimal amount of money. So I think I think Sophia's is it's seven pounds a week. Is it for a family? It's, it's three pounds fifty for an individual, seven pounds for a family. Yeah. 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 And for that, you um, you go along and you get food, which has come from the the fair share process, and you get a huge amount of food for for that money, um, and that has become very important in in our community where we work, Richard, hasn't it? It has, yeah. And that was uh, that was the, the Didcot community larder was our first our first community larder when it, it actually predates COVID. I think twenty eighteen. Mm. Uh, we we launched the community larder in Didcot, and it was initially a direct response from Sophia to the issue that we saw with the families of the young people that we were educating. It was young people, young people and their families that we knew. The young people were helping with the work and and getting the food out to other communities, but we knew their families were really struggling, and we were trying to do something informal ourselves to to support that. But it became apparent very quickly that 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 approach of providing a, a an amount of food every week for a small a small fee was going to be popular and was going to be needed. Uh, and just to be clear, it's not a replacement for your weekly shop. Um, it, it's a fairly random collection of food, depending on what surplus to us that week. Sometimes it's absolutely amazing and, and very high value and and the sorts of things that do make up a, a family's meals for the week. Other times it can be treats. It can be a few bits and pieces that you wouldn't otherwise have bought um uh and often there's good amounts of fruit and fruit and vegetables um uh, obviously the, the the covid lockdowns and the and the need for emergency food kind of propelled the growth of what we were doing across a wider geography and post covid and with the cost of living crisis we've maintained 32 community larders now um with three and a half thousand members and people come because they've got access to subsidised food. That's the the reason that they come. But what that also allows us to do, just which is is really neat, it, it, it brings people together once a week that otherwise wouldn't necessarily have, have have got out and enjoyed a cup of tea with each other while they were getting that food. But it also allows us to talk to that the, those people about why they're coming, what other things we might be able to provide um, in terms of support. That, that hopefully then means they're less reliant on something like a community larder. I think that's really important because, uh, and I'm going to pick up Rachel on something she said earlier in her introduction, she referred to food poverty. And as far as I'm concerned, there's no such thing as food poverty. It's poverty full stop. Food poverty makes it sound like food's too expensive, and it's not. We in this country uh, have the third lowest spend on food in relation to our average income in the whole world. I think there's only America and oddly Singapore that spend less on food than we do. So food isn't the issue, in my opinion. It, it's, you know, the whole welfare state and poverty full stop. You know, it's the levelling up. We, we really need to look at that. And 
my big fear is that if we focus on food, we're in danger of basically looking at producers and saying, well, you've got to cut down, you know, your costs and everything. And we farmers at the minute are really struggling, actually. I'm producing milk. I'm getting paid 37 pence per litre for my milk. Average cost of production in this country is 40p. So, you know, losing money on every single litre. Farmers are packing up left, right and centre. And actually, if we don't focus on that and we lose our food security because we're, you know, saying to our farmers, either produce it for less or pack up, then actually we're going to be adding to food inflation if we're not careful. We're going to be over-reliant on imports. And with the nature of our just-in-time supply chain system, we've seen what happened in COVID. We've seen what's happened with the Ukraine war. It only takes a minor disturbance to cause a big, big disturbance in the supply chain and that has huge consequences i i, yeah. I couldn't agree more i think i, I agree entirely I, there's not a separate bucket called food poverty that's separate from poverty it's it, it, it's the same thing it's it's people that are that are struggling with the income that they've got to afford the basics to, to survive um or, or, or to hopefully do a little bit more than survive and I think that is key. And the answer, therefore, is not to drive food prices down. And it's not to have community larders or food banks giving food out cheap. It, it's, it's to try and address the, the wider issues around why are people struggling so much to be able to afford the basics. Um, and, and somehow, like with a lot of things, we've managed to get ourselves in a, in, in a bizarre logical loop of, <laughs> of, of trying to drive your price is down, Charlie, which is making the problem even worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I often wonder as well, and you referred to the educational side of what you do. Uh, have we, you know, as, as a nation, lost touch with the food we eat? And it's almost we need to go back to basics and learn about food and how to prepare it and what to eat. And, uh, you know, I'll blame the supermarkets again that they've trained us to buy with our eyes and buy what's convenient but actually, it's the, the the food we don't eat in this country. I, I mean, a lot of the, and I'll refer, I'll go back to meat side of it for this. The offal organs, really dense in nutrients, really good, healthy food, but actually nobody eats it. It's unfashionable. And a lot of that, that's what we refer to as the fifth quarter. That's what we're exporting to Far Eastern sort of markets. I mean, it's the case that we export a lot of our seafood, isn't it? Which seems to me utterly bonkers. <laughs> yeah, we're an island that that, that and we can have an, a discussion about the stability of food, fish supplies. But we 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 do harvest fish, we do fish, but but we don't eat it. I think it's it's really interesting the conversation. I, I and I I agree that so the people that Richard and I speak to and 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 try and help and deal with who are coming to community larders and and food banks you're absolutely right there is absolutely no person there who the rest of their life is fine um and and they just don't have access to food it is a very complex social problem and trying to unpick it and i think it's fascinating you hear a lot of people i have to say kind of often just older generations as well who will make comments and say well people just need to learn how to cook you know it's it's cheap to buy this it's cheap to buy that but uh, as I've learned a lot working with food and communities is that 
actually understanding how to cook, what to cook, having the means to do it, the, the skills to do it, the fuel to do it, the equipment to do it is a really, really complex problem. I, I remember when the MP Lee Anderson said, uh, you know, I think it was last year, well, you know, you can batch cook and do 30 pence a meal, but forgetting the idea that you need a car to go to a supermarket, you need the means to buy the bulk food, you need the fuel to cook it, just this completely out of touch idea. So I think, and I and, and it's why I'm such a fan actually of the way the community larder is run is that it it is providing accessible food, but it's also looking at the deeper seated issues as to why are people in this in this position, and that and they are ultimately the issues we need to address. And I think Rachel, you you and I have done some work in terms of trying to address the the how do you cook with this food and 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 what do you need to be able to do that, and that's that's a, a good step I think in in encouraging people to look at a celeriac for example and not yes. not go what the hell is that but, but to be able to make a, a soup or a stew out of it um so, so, but, and i think but i think the the wider benefit of, of the community larders is that people there are struggling with low wage insecure employment um their mental health their other debts and and being able to address some of those issues then enables them potentially to trade up to a to, to a better a better diet and a, and, a, and, a, and a healthier diet I still have I do think however that there's something fundamentally wrong with our food culture um and probably always has been um that the supermarkets are then able to step in and uh, and persuade us that we all need processed fast quick convenient food that's a that's a commodity rather than a that has no value beyond the kind of shoving it in your face and feeling full rather than and i know it's i know it's roasted into spectacles and romantic but you compare that with the french approach or or the italian approach to to food cultures and and you've got regional specialities and you've got family recipes and you've got the 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 family meal is still the most important social social part of the of the week uh, and i don't i've not seen much evidence that that exists anywhere in the uk in, in any sort of strata of society really anymore no, no food, i think we've very become, much lost it yeah. yeah food's very much become i would say uh like a an inconvenience it's a necessity to live it's not an experience or a pleasure anymore and it, it, yeah gone are the days when it, it's almost like a a family occasion You'd, you'd cook together, you'd eat together, you'd clear away together. Yeah, yeah. and and the, the social benefits from that are huge yeah. across generations and, and in terms of yeah, health and, and well-being, they're huge. And we've it, it, it barely exists, I think, in this country. Yeah. On to the health. So... So one one concern that I have is that we we are seeing this widening gap that we know what we should be eating, we know what's good for us, we know what we need in our diets, and you know we have people at one end of society who are accessing superb food, who have the ability to to cook it or enjoying it, um, and and are living longer, healthier lives, and then we have the other end of the spectrum where people. Um, do not have choice, cannot access good quality food. And that's then uh, feeding into the um, health inequality that is is already there, but then give these people a poor diet and it's it's worsening that. And I think 
you know, a food bank is is a is a good example in some ways, though it is doing it's doing a life saving role of, of offering people access to food. These are generally not high end. It's not high end produce that people are able to access. They don't have any choice with it. And that is going to have a longer term impact on their health as well. So I but this is a very complex question as to how do we get how do we get, have all aspects of society having access to good quality food do, do you have any views on that Richard um lots of different views and lots of different ways of tackling it I think one is I think that it is a complex social issue and it, a, a, a major part of the problem you you said just of damaging people's long-term health for a lot of people who are struggling long-term means absolutely nothing getting through the week getting through today having having the kids not crying today getting them into school today is, is the challenge and beyond that it's it's very difficult to to then think about your long-term goals and your long-term aspirations and your children's long-term future because you've got to struggle just to get through today and i think if i I quite often think about the, the, the sort of rationale of if, you, if you're a single parent on a very low income with three kids and you and you don't know how to cook and you and you, you, you you've never valued that kind of approach to food the rational thing to do is to buy chips because they're cheap they're filling and you know the kids like them and it does the job for today um and I think that's that's not the only issue but but there's a lot of that kind of element of it's very easy when you when you're when you're not in that position to, to say well why aren't you doing what's the what's best in the long term for your children and for your own health well because it's stressful today yeah I mean some people I had a conversation with a, another farming friend Charlie and he had a very interesting point and I and I kind of said you know we we are worsening our health inequality by not having people who are in lower socioeconomic groups and not having access to good um, food that's actually a poor investment as a country because they will have poorer health outcomes that will cost us more as a nation with unemployment with um, health service costs do you think there is an argument that you know food production should be more subsidized to allow access to to food for poorer populations it's a hard question that is no i don't think there is um i think the problem we have is, and how can I put it, the, the people that are trying to set the standards and say how they want the food to be produced and what they want don't really have a good understanding. And if we're not careful, we're going to get, get to a point where we're going backwards if we're not careful. And the, the good example is, let, let's let's look at the Second World War. I mean, we were a country that was starving, and that's why food subsidies in this country was really brought in, to boost production and to really feed the nation. And farming stepped up to the mark, and we did a fantastic job of that. But actually, we made two big mistakes. We almost went too hard and got too intensive to a certain degree, and we, and we took our eye off the ball when it came to uh, nature and the environment. So there are a lot of mistakes made there, which we're now working hard at reversing, increasing biodiversity and, you know, lowering our carbon footprint and being more conscientious of our environment. We also made the mistake as farmers, I believe, in, you know, just putting a head down and plowing through and working and forgetting everybody else that's around us. 
And so we as farmers didn't communicate with the general public. We didn't say what we're doing, explain why we're doing things that we are. And that created a void between the producer and the consumer. And gradually over the years, that void's got bigger. And as people have started to question farmers and saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing that or you're doing that wrong, you know, you're damaging the environment. A lot of farmers have just shut up shop and just refused to refuse to answer. And that has created an even bigger void, which has been infilled by people with ulterior motives, um, anti-farming, anti-livestock, uh, but also those that um, have got investments elsewhere. So the ultra-processed foods and things like that have stepped in uh, and taken advantage of that. So really, I think we have to be careful of just saying, you know, throwing money to, into subsidies to get food cheaper. I, I, I do think that's the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my personal view is one of the, the core things has to be education about food. It has to be educating people. It has to be supporting people. There needs to be more access in schools to teaching how to cook again that needs to be required for all children to be doing there needs to be more in the actual curriculum about food um what the impact is on you the impact of not exercising or exercising and that just needs to be brought in as core life skills in education that's that's personally my view um it, i do feel there's there's a big gap and i i always refer to this as like your cookbooks and that as well uh, you'll get a cook, but everybody's got a stack of cookbooks that they never <laughs> read. And you'll have all these wonderful recipes. You, I don't know. I can't even think of any fancy names now, but take, uh, I don't know that take all these massive ingredients that taste fantastic, but actually how many of them have got one that says, here's how you cook a basic roast joint. Uh, and, and we're just missing that first step. It's almost like we want to jump to being master chef specials, yeah. but, you know the everyday stuff's missing, and that... uh, and then and then it makes you feel inadequate and incapable. So you don't even try with the basic stuff because you, you can't access it at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that education piece is important. I think schools will always come back and say, "Well, what are we going to not do to create space for that?" Then isn't that the family's job? Isn't that somebody else's job? Um, and I think the answer is, well, it, in an ideal world, yes, probably, but we're not in the ideal world. Um, and how how can we bring up a generation of children if they're not being taught those basic life skills? Absolutely. And I, I will give the Nourish and Flourish programme a, a plug here. Um, if you've listened to episode one of the podcast where we talked about Nourish and Flourish and our schools programme, where we um, we have embedded um, nutrition and diet into, into the year five curriculum. But interestingly, what we do on our cooking sessions is we don't have any recipes. So we give the kids a table of food, spices, different things, and they go and make stuff without a recipe. And actually, that's that's what we think is a normal life skill that you open the fridge and you think, what am I going to make tonight? Um, and that's been absolutely fascinating to see how the kids deal with that. Yeah. I think the confidence to be able to do that and the, and the, and the demystifying that it's, that it's not, you, you don't have to ha have those 37 ingredients and three and a half hours and all sorts of weird equipment to make something. You can just open the fridge and make something. And even if it's not very nice, it's probably going to be edible and you can do it differently next time. Yeah. I Interest, Richard. Just going back, we're talking about um, different foods. Is uh, I don't know. You can answer this or not. Is processed food generally cheaper than fresh produce, or is it a convenience thing that are drawing people to it more? I think 
that's a good question i think it's probably processed food is probably more expensive but it's more convenient and more certain and easier to to, to fuel yourself with um yeah probably cheaper to buy fresh and cook fresh but easier more convenient yeah yeah and and more kind of behaviorally geared towards not doing that well Richard, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you. Um, Sophia is such a fantastic organisation um, doing some amazing work, um, as, as is the whole fair share movement. And I'm sure there are lots of people listening who were not aware that this was happening on their doorstep and not aware of what happened with so much excess food. So I'm sure it's been an eye opener and very interesting for many people. So thank you very much for joining us. And I'm sure we will be inviting you back for further discussions pleasure thank you yeah so much could have, could have carried on with there really is such a big topic that is yeah um charlie that's the end of our um third episode i'm i'm gonna probably uh have a bit of a quiet evening now have you seen that new uh movie that's out the tractor no go on what's this one I haven't seen it yet. I have seen the trailer, which was good. <laughs> that is diabolical. You really need to improve on these, Rach. Really, that is appalling. I've had that saved up for two weeks. <laughs> I can't believe you even bothered saving that. <laughs> Your kids will be embarrassed. <laughs> so that's thank you for an excellent episode. Um, and if you have any questions or any suggestions of guests or topics that you would like to cover, do get in touch. Yeah, and as always, please follow and subscribe if you've enjoyed listening to this. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, at The Pharmacy Podcast. And until then, we will see you on the next episode. See you on episode four. Bye.